0: What is the proper way to issue a notice to attend a disciplinary hearing? This is Stuff Employers Should Know. Welcome to Stuff Employers Should Know, proudly brought to you by LaborNet, management's ultimate HR solution. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Barry Gordon-Davis, and unfortunately, again, I am tied to some litigation commitments, so I'm having to do a remote recording. This means that yes a yes like at is not with me, and I won't unfortunately have that same studio quality that we all enjoy. So the purpose of a notice to attend a disciplinary hearing is to inform the employee of when the hearing will take place, uh, what they are being charged with, and their rights regarding the hearing and the fact that they should now prepare a defense. Now, I'm not going to go into the intricacies of the charges, um, how to draft charges, formulate it, or the hearing itself. But in this episode, I wanted to focus on the appropriate manner in which a notice to attend is to be issued to an accused employee. So, an employee should be issued with a notice of hearing as soon as possible. And in terms of Schedule 8, of the Labor Relations Act, it states that it should be done within a reasonable time, which we have taken as a minimum of 48 hours prior to the hearing. Now, the notice period is also dependent on the complexity of the case. If the charges are complex or there's other intricacies, more time will be needed to collect evidence and form a defense by the accused party. So therefore, the employee or the accused should receive the notice with a bit more time available to prepare than just the mere 48 hours. I've seen instances where an employer might go and investigate a particular matter. It can even take up to months but then they provide 48 hours notice of a disciplinary hearing where it's taken them so much time to do so. So we need to be cognizant of the complexity of the matter and the appropriateness of the time period that is given to the accused party. Now in terms of Schedule 8 of the of the LRA, um, notice must be issued in a language that the employee can reasonably understand. Now the best case scenario is that notice is hand-delivered and explained, and again, in a language that they could reasonably understand. So if there's another language other than the primary one used by the employer, an employee then doing so must then provide that information and uh, so that they could reasonably be expected to understand it. But now, the employee should sign the notice and a copy provided to them. So it can happen and it happens uh, quite often that an employee may refuse to sign. They uh, may simply just choose not to um, on the belief that they are maybe accepting guilt or maybe confessing to the offences. But should they refuse to sign, the best thing to do is get a witness to sign uh, as proof that they have been appropriately and expressly notified of the the. Um, charge has been brought against them, and that they've received notice of the disciplinary inquiry. That uh, during the disciplinary inquiry, that particular witness who signs on their behalf that it's been properly notified may be required to come and uh, testify to the fact that they were there present, that when they signed that notice to attend, that the accused employee was appropriately um, issued with that particular notice, and that's where we have to say that they are signing. Receipt for that notice. They're not signing an acceptance of the charges or the like. They are signing acknowledging that they have been notified that there is a hearing that's going to be happening for them. Now, um, remember that if you're going to choose a witness to to um, sign on behalf of the accused party or to sign as proof that the party has been appropriately notified, make sure that you choose a appropriate witness that would be required. Uh, for some possible length of time that is contactable, and it 's not just a, somebody that might have been standing around that it 's an employee that you know would be reliable enough to come and testify to the facts should they be required at the hearing or let 's say there 's subsequent litigation in that regard, and procedural aspects need to be proven whether it 's at the commission or the or a, a council of the sort so a copy of the document can also be handed over to the employee's representative, who they have authorised in writing to accept service on behalf of that person. and. Um, we need to ensure that when we hand over a copy of that document they must appear to be at least of 16 years of age and um, it might be uh, let's say at that person's place of residence, business or place of employment at the time. This person should then sign receipt of the document as being proof of service to be issued to the accused party. Now, to go through other forms of appropriate service, um, a notice can also be delivered by a registered post to the last known address of the employee as required, where all employees are required to sign a take-on form and provide the employer with uh, contact details, and we need and, and emphasis is placed on the last known address of the employee, the one that has been provided to the employer as you need to contact me at this number or next of kin or the like that must get used uh, as part of it. If the employer does become aware that that might have changed, not the case, or there's other alternative contact uh, details, uh, provide proof as to why we believe that that is an appropriate address to to serve the employee, but make sure that we use the last known address that was provided to the employer. A delivery slip that then gets provided when we use registered post will be presented as a proof of service. And um, we must, you know, using case law and CCMA rules as a reference, any document or notice that is sent by a registered post is presumed to have been received by the party it's been sent to after seven days of when it was posted. So these times need to be factored in when we are proposing a date for the hearing. Um, you can't go and send a 48-hour um, notice to a party via registered post, uh, which we know is then going to be presumed to have been delivered seven days after it been served, not 48 hours. The notice can also be sent via email or WhatsApp. And I mean, even facts, if we, if it is such a number that is provided. And delivery reports of all these different media must be kept, uh, specifically when it comes to, let's say, using social media platforms such as WhatsApp, where we can then take a screenshot of um, two blue ticks, uh, the online presence. Um, as well as last seen, and use those screenshots to go and show that um, we use this method and that it can be assumed that the person had been uh, in receipt of that notice. You can also you know, leave a copy of the document at the other party's chosen address, as you say, that last known address. Uh, we would then need to do an affidavit stating where and when And how the document was left, I've even seen people taking selfies or photographs of um, where they then left the document in addition to the affidavit that was then used. If there is no way to serve the accused with a notice due to them having moved, being unreachable, or the address or contacts uh, seem to be null and void, the employer must be able to show and provide proof that they did everything reasonable to serve the notice based on all the last known uh, forms of communication and contact uh, numbers, addresses and the like, next of kin, um, let's say uh, next of service, uh, alternative numbers that were then appointed and the like. Now, regarding the issuing of the notice to attend and critically, When the accused party fails to attend, chooses not to attend, or simply fails to arrive, the chairperson will be required to firstly establish whether the accused was correctly and appropriately notified in order to fairly proceed with the matter. So proof is paramount to be issued by the employer in this regard. So if you wish to issue us with correspondence... Uh, let's say, suggesting topics or even just to say hi, you can serve an email to sesk at labornet.com or find us on any of the major social media platforms. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on whichever platform that you use to make sure that you never miss an episode and ensure that you stay in the know of all things labor law related. So from me, BGD, till the next episode, hopefully back in the studio with Yes or Yes Like It. Cheers. Stuff Employers Should Know was proudly brought to you by LaborNet, management's ultimate HR solution. For more episodes from Stuff Employers Should Know, go to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you play your favorite shows. Case law or statutes referenced in the podcast are current at the time of recording.